Everybody, welcome to Pretty Scary. Pretty Scary Boo? Boo, yes, boo. I'm Adam Todd Brown. Yeah. Yeah, and who are, yeah. who are you? I'm Caitlin Cut. What? Yes. Cut rhymes with what? And other things and that other I can't things. think of off the top of my head. I can't think of anything else. Cut, nope, that's the same word. Damn it. It's the same word, but that happens to me a lot when I rhyme. Mm. Sometimes I just repeat like for the word, which is why I've never been a good rapper. Yeah, people are like, nothing rhymes with orange. It's like bullshit. Orange rhymes with orange. Orange immediately rhymes with orange. It's perfect. But but this is why we're friends, because, like, nobody else wants to hear my argument on this. We're playing chess. Everyone else is playing checkers. It's obvious. Or D chess people. Or D. We are your hosts. I think everyone knows mm. that. Mm. But I hope so. We should just throw it out there that we're your hosts. Yep. And, yep. uh... We are talking about some shit today. Happy stuff. This is this is one of those one of those scandals that just got kind of buried by 9/11 for some reason. Like 9/11 happened and it was all we could talk about. Did we do a thing about all the things that got buried by 9/11? If we done that yet? I feel like we've talked about it so many times. We should. The other the other big one I always bring up is the Saskatoon freezing deaths where police in Canada were <laughs> Basically driving, like if they picked up an indigenous person who was yes, drunk in public, that's right. I, they would yep. drive them to the outskirts of town and make them walk back. And they would do that in the middle of the winter also. And a bunch of people died. And the two cops who were finally, I mean, the two who were finally caught because lots of cops were doing it. They went on trial September 10th, 2001. So Oops. nobody heard anything about that shit. We'll do it. We'll yeah. do an episode about that someday. We should, because then there's also Chandra Levy. Yes. I love that. Well, it's a terrible thing to say, but I'm fascinated by that story because it's like, I think she, I feel like it's like her body was found on like the 9th of September. And then we did a conspiracy episode about Chandra Levy. And you're right. It was very close to 9-11 <laughs> when her body was and found. And it was just ramping up. Like yeah. things were just about to really hit the fan. And then. That's a very weird up. story. When. All of the Me Too stuff first started happening in like 2017, I think, when that all kicked off. John yeah. Conyers was one of the people yeah. who was named in that. And one of his accusers said that at one point he drove her to a park and was <laughs> like hitting on her. And when she rejected him, he said something along the lines of, I don't know if you should do that because I know what happened to Chandra Levy. And she like cool. took it as a threat. And got out, I, well, got out of the would. car and ran away. Yeah, and this was like in the thick of when the Chandra Levy stuff was happening. I would definitely take that as a threat. Yeah, but he'd like, so. he just happily retired from office 16 years later. It was fine. Anyway. That, that must be very chill. Anyway, so on to happier things. Yeah, we're talking about, I would say the smaller of those three scandals for sure, but <laughs> we're... We're talking about the Kansas City cancer drug scandal, which zippy name. A lot of alliteration there. I was going to 
say, is there a dance to this or what? There, I yeah, feel like there should be. There should be. Or there should be like t-shirts. Like it should be the name of a band. You know, Kansas City has always just had that kind of showman quality. Just the name, the name Kansas City. Then you go and it's, it's not like that, but. I love Kansas City, but only because we've done a bunch of unpop shows there and they're always very fun. Well, you know. The people make the place, let's be honest. But I mean, I'm just saying like, Kansas, you know, there's like the, the Oklahoma song, yeah, everything's up to date in Kansas City. Anyway, oh, it yeah. just, it does. It sounds like a fun Broadway, the Kansas City cancer drug scandal. Yeah, a kid in a newsboy cap should be trying to sell you front page papers about the Kansas City cancer drug scandal. Yeah. Hugh Jackman should be standing on a stage in a spotlight doing, you know, like a whole opening bit. Yeah, this is uh this is some evil shit. Like this is <laughs> And then there's the reality. <laughs> yeah, we're making jokes, but this is Sorry. Man, it like Yeah. Oops. At some point things just become so evil that it's not a competition anymore. Like there's that that upper <laughs> echelon of evil where everyone's just kind of equally bad. And I would argue this is that. Like this is insidious shit yeah going through this it actually felt like i feel like steven soderbergh needs to make a movie about this i feel like he'd really knock it out of the park because it's all very this is a very process oriented evil like it's it's all it's like that whole banality of evil thing that's so creepy yeah it's it's a good example of someone who's really smart using that for bad instead of using it for good you use that for bad. You like this? Sorry, just no, but I agree. You're, just fun, like you used your smartness for bad. Naughty pharmacist. <laughs> Why'd you, hey, Mister Pharmacist? You gave all those people cancer. Why'd you do that? You used your pharmacist smarts for bad. That's what it feels like. Kinda. That's <laughs> and it's a valid question. Because this guy. I couldn't imagine. Did you ever see that really dark Robin Williams movie? Uh, 12 hour photo one hour photo yes that's what i kept imagining in this This, story i'm 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 jumping ahead but like it's that kind of you know under the fluorescent light of a big box store feel (laughs) evil feeling to it yeah because it's it's someone doing a job that most people don't understand or would never know how to do and he's taking all of that knowledge not only from that job, but also like factoring in the the patient base he's working with and all of these things and coming to this sort of justification for the scheme he comes up with. And it's, it's, it's bad. It just never occurs to you <laughs> that a person would breach trust in this way. It makes more sense to me. Like the Night Stalker is, is more comfortable for me to consider as a possibility than this story. Yeah, because that's a kind of evil you can sort of see coming. Like, no matter how much people talk about the Night Stalker being, like, one of the hottest serial killers, like, people describe that dude as smelling like a goat. Yeah, look at that guy. Yeah. I'm going to not go near that guy. Yeah, his teeth were horrifying. Smelling like a goat. (laughs) That's what they say in the the Night Stalker documentary that's on Netflix right now. (laughs) They're trying, like, because they keep saying a pungent odor. Like, they say that a lot. And then at one point... At one point, one of the detectives goes, kind of like a goat. <laughs> Say no more. Kind of. I mean, the Night Stalker looks evil. 
if you look at it anyway, let's just go because I could do this for hours. I mean, it's there's a lot to, that washes over you in this story. So, yeah, he the Night Stalker does look evil. And Robert Courtney didn't. Robert Courtney no. was just your local neighborhood pharmacist. Basically, he was uh, born the son of an itinerant revivalist minister. So he was poor, obviously. So he, as a young adult, he decides to pursue a, a slightly more lucrative career path, which is pharmacy. And uh, fun fact, I almost went to the St. Louis College of Pharmacy after high you, school. You have the intellect that would actually, you could do this job. Right. You've got, good, I, you've got a good categorical brain. But I also have the intellect that lets me know that I don't want to work with the public. And I kind of saw that coming my way if I was going to embark in a career as a pharmacist. So, well, you know, you know who didn't have that Bobby. Oh, Bob Courtney in 1987, he formed Courtney pharmacy incorporated and started dispensing meds from a pharmacy inside research medical tower in Kansas city. And he also owned a second pharmacy, but apparently never worked there. That was just like, you know, in thinking about it, it was probably a means to sort of explain how much money he was making. Cause damn, he made a lot of money doing this. Well, I mean, first of all, pharmacists make a good amount of money. And then when you do what he did, you can make more money. <laughs> Significantly more. I tried not to give away the rest of the story. Yeah. What's crazy about it is even the, like the FBI and the prosecutors are like, as far as we can tell, this is the first time someone actually thought to do this. Well, this is my question to you. Do you believe that? I don't, but I doubt yeah, neither do I. anyone else was as brazen as this guy, because even if, all right, look, we should tell people what he was doing. Cause we keep alluding to it. <laughs> And Sorry, I, everyone. I, for some reason, put it way at the end of the notes. What this guy was doing, and we'll build up to the, the bigger details later, he was taking chemotherapy drugs. He was mixing them himself, which pharmacists do, and selling them to doctors and hospitals to use as pre-mixed chemotherapy drugs. But what he would do is dilute these drugs so the patients were getting anywhere from like 30% to 0% of the medication that they thought they were getting. But then he would sell it to these hospitals and doctors as if it was the full dose. And then he would just pocket the difference. And he did that for a long time. Yeah. Honestly, like as somebody who's watched someone go through chemotherapy and die of cancer, it's, this is one of those stories that I just, it washes over you the amount of damage that this person did because even a little bit of chemo can cause people pain and suffering, you know, and then they think they're going through this to get better. And this guy is mitigating their chances intentionally. It's just, it's mind blowing to me. Yeah. I had a friend in South Dakota whose mom was a patient of this guy and they think she died as a result of the diluted cancer drugs. And it, like we'll we'll get to the details later, but the scope of this and like how many patients were involved is just insane. But anyway, <laughs> we'll we'll get there. It's so dark it that I think very... both of us kind of keep pausing here and just like I don't. It, it's such a breach of trust. I know I've already said that, but it's like it really is. Like it's staggering to think about. 
And one of the things I saw brought up in one of the articles uh, well, that we read for this episode, I'll link to it, but pharmacists among healthcare workers are like one of the most trusted and respected. They have to be. Yeah. I mean, it's like a babysitter. That's the only thing I can, I, this, like if you run a daycare, that's the only thing I can liken it to that you just kind of have to fully trust that this person is doing everything, literally everything right. And it's so easy to trace back to them if they're not. Like if you dispense the wrong medication and someone dies, they're going to know where they got that medication. Like, Except for chemo. I mean, that's the crazy thing. It's like that's that is the part that is so scary to me because it's like it also shines a huge light on the variability of people's reception to different cancer drugs. You genuinely don't know if what you're taking is going to help you or not. I think that's the other kind of passive light that this thing creates, this story creates. It's like that's what these people are up against anyway. These variable odds that 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 they're already facing. It's it's a it's it's so and then you hear you know you hear about people that like are diagnosed at stage 1 and then they end up dying. <laughs> yeah. It's not unheard of. So nobody's going to look at someone that progresses in that way and say, well, that's never happened. And that was one of the things he relied on to be able to get away with this is that doctors in most cases are worried when it comes to chemotherapy drugs. They're more worried about the side effects those drugs are going to cause. Yeah. As opposed to anything else. Like a heart attack. You could die of a heart attack while you're on chemo very easily. Right. And he knew that. And he knew by diluting these drugs, the effects of it were going to be far less serious and wouldn't raise as many eyebrows. But that's the thing. Like, I feel like had he just done it a little less, like make it 70% and pocket that difference. And like, then it's going to be way less noticeable. But this guy was just a greedy fuck who exploited a loophole that most people with any sort of soul or humanity would not exploit. I, I my stomach turned reading these notes. So let's just start like, I, yeah. I, you know, anybody out there who listening to this, who's lost someone to cancer. I mean, I don't think I've ever said this on the show, but like, if this is going to be a hard topic for you, like you, you can move on. Like we'll, 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 We'll understand. I lost someone yeah. to cancer. Something inside of me is dead. So I'm able to march through this kind of shit. But this is tough. This is a tough one. This yeah. guy is a serial killer. He is. In an unprecedented way. In a way that I've never even thought of until now. This is like Holocaust shit, in my opinion. Like, oh, I, I agree. I right, agree. It's, and <laughs> the thing is, he was really well respected. He graduated from University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Pharmacy in 1975, regularly contributed money to the school, gave students jobs in his pharmacy, was considered by some to be a pioneer among Kansas City pharmacists. <laughs> no shit. Because a pharmacy professor at UMKC named Ashok Gambir shared this story in one of the articles we'll link to. Uh, he recalled attending a meeting way back in the early 90s where oncologists we're complaining about nurses being afraid to handle chemotherapy drugs just because they're intended to kill human cells. And at that Pesky point, nurses. Yeah. Fucking wuss. At that point, Courtney has this bright idea that, well, he's just going to, he'll just mix chemotherapy drugs by himself 
and then sell them pre-mixed, which will alleviate all those concerns. And he was one of the first in the city to do that. It, and at, he made like a Mike's Hard Lemonade for chemo. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Great. I think that's just checking. That's probably the best way to put it. Well, it's definitely the most gentle, the most delicate and respectful way. Right. That I could put it. And yeah, he at, at the time, this required all these spe- special facilities that like now all pharmacies have. But he had to like construct his own at the time. This is a quote from Ashok Gambir. He's an absolute entrepreneur. We felt very proud of him. And he was clearly doing really well. By 2000, federal court records showed he owned about $8.5 million in stocks, $900,000 worth of property, and two pharmacies valued at more than $1 million. He also lived in a two-story home that in early 2000s, Kansas City, was valued at $549,000. Yeah, I was sitting here doing like Midwest money versus California money. Yeah, having lived in the Midwest, I can assure you that's a whole lot of house. Like that is that would probably be two or three million in California. Wow. It's like I saw in my entire time in South Dakota, I saw one house that was listed for one million dollars. And I lived in South Dakota for eleven years. Wow. And that house looked like aliens accidentally dropped it in the middle of <laughs> South Dakota. And if they stumble upon it they're going to take it back but you can live there until then it was the craziest house i'd ever seen so half a million dollar house in kansas city in 2000 that's that's a big house it's a lot of money yeah my my ideas of money are totally off because i'm from california right and then half of people who i know are from california or new york none of us understand how the rest of the world buys homes for less than five well eight hundred thousand dollars <laughs> yeah and even that where are you living in California for 800000 I mean, not in L.A., but... Oh, no. The rest of California, sure. <sighs> anyway, customers <laughs> at Robert Courtney's pharmacy described him as a guy who was always very nice and professional. I guess you have to be to get away with selling people half the cancer drugs that they think they're paying for. Yeah, you've got you to gotta have a look. And his peers described him as kind of quiet and subdued, but also very professional, generally pleasant. I bet he smelled like Old Spice. Things were a little less stable at home, though. In 1990, yeah, if you can believe it, in 1990, he divorced the mother of his two daughters and retained custody, but he paid her a lump sum of $196,000 as part of his divorce settlement, which will be very important later. And a few short months later, he wooed a childhood friend into a relationship, then into an engagement, and then talked her into eloping with him two months into their relationship. Oh man, this is, this is like middle-aged people are so lonely. Five days after that, she came to regret it and left him and the marriage was annulled a couple I wonder what later. she found. Well, she said he was just super controlling and would like, she couldn't wear casual clothes around the house. She had to still dress up and wear full makeup. He would only let her drive certain types of cars, like just like, super, super controlling. And Very so, chill. Yeah. So she left a few days later, and that marriage was an old, but then he got married again a couple years later because, of course. And uh, he was very active in his local church, if you can believe that, Caitlin. <laughs> I wouldn't expect someone of this man's nature to 
hide behind being very involved in church. But alas, another betrayal. It's, it's shocking, but I'll work it out later in therapy. Yeah. So much so, he was involved in church to such a degree that in 1999, he pledged $1 million to his church's building fund. Also an important dollar amount that we'll talk what about. The hell? Well, yeah. That's, I mean, isn't it crazy what money can buy you? Yeah, it really I is. I mean, I know that's a lot of money, but it, it's such a calculated uh, donation and it's so public and it really does turn off everybody's whatever alarms that they have going on. Cause I guarantee you, I, I, I bet everything that when this guy, when all of this came out, there were a handful of people that were like, I always knew he was weird. Oh yeah. But it's things like this $1 million pledge in 1999, which feels like a long time ago. Cause it was everybody just, you, you can buy credibility. It's wild. Do you think some of it was guilt also? Like, cause this guy's, Oh, he's, great question. Like he's obviously got some mental issues. Like you don't like, I'm not saying he, he should uh, have gotten off with an insanity plea, but like a, a, a normal thinking person doesn't do this. So I could see him being like, well, if I at least give this money, God will forgive me and I'll still go to heaven. I don't know though, because you know, there are certain disorders and certain things that people are missing in their heads that. They, they do these things because they, they are buying up chunks of normalcy to put in front of them. Yeah. And, and very calculating. I think it's harder for people to admit that, that individuals can be this calculating than it is to go down the road of, you know, maybe he was guilty, feeling guilty or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but the more, the more doing more work that I've done in this world, the more I'm beginning to realize that the scarier answer is the more is the more common answer, which is he did this because he wanted to seem like a good person. Yeah. And he knew that that would work. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best, it's possible pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line it's possible complex specialty care that cares about your roi it's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions that's wonder made possible learn more at evernorth.com wonder so his problems officially start in 1998 because although his well, that's when that's when they started for me too you know i'm I gonna be say, honest 98 was a bad year for me Things started getting better for me in 98. No, that's Good. not true. That's I'm, oh. I'm wrong about that. Still a couple I just years. also had a bad 1998 in my family, specifically. So his friends and colleagues mostly liked him, but drug reps hated him because he would refuse to share information on how much of their drugs he was selling, which that's the information they need to calculate their commissions. So he's literally costing them money by not sharing that information. And in 1998, one of those drug reps, Daryl Ashley, who worked for Eli Lilly, somehow became aware that Courtney was selling way more of one of Eli Lilly's chemotherapy drugs than he was buying from Ashley. And Daryl Ashley told on him, but there was an investigation and it didn't turn up any clear signs of wrongdoing. 
So a couple more years pass, and in 2001, Daryl Ashley mentions this investigation that he had launched a few years back to a nurse who worked in the office of Dr. Verda Hunter, which was also located in Research Medical Tower. And they'd been buying chemotherapy drugs from Robert Courtney since 1999. And she was already suspicious because none of her patients had any of the chemotherapy side effects that you normally see. So her first, her first thought was maybe he's like made some sort of mistake and is like under dosing the patients or like, right. Because you don't think that anyone would intentionally do this. It's just not where your head's going to go. It's just not. So she hears about this investigation that was launched in back in 1998. And now she's especially suspicious of Robert Courtney. And she was so alarmed by it that the next prescription she ended up ordering from him, she had it tested. And when those lab tests came back, it showed that the drugs had been diluted. At which point she said she felt physically ill. She cut ties with Robert Courtney, but didn't tell him why. Like he offered her a discount to stay with him. And immediately sent this information to the FBI and the FDA. There's a quote from FBI agent Judy Lewis. I think everybody who sat around that table that day had the same feeling, which was there's got to be another explanation. I don't care how it looks. No one could do this. Right. It's a dark crime. Yeah. I mean, if you've got, here's the other thing too. Like there's a whole other side of this. Like medical malpractice is, is real. Obviously we know that. And they see so much of it. These people see so much of it. So it's not like that they're not aware that this is possible, that this can happen, but that it's the scale, which we're going to get into, of which this man affected people's lives that would make everybody sitting there do everything they could to hope that they were wrong about what they were seeing. Right. So the next thing they do is they convince Dr. Hunter to basically run a sting operation on this guy. She goes back to him and is like, you know what? I will. I'll take you up on that discount. She orders six more prescriptions for chemotherapy drugs for basically fake patients that the FBI created. They test those prescriptions and tests on those showed that each had been diluted between 17 and 39% of the required. God, I mean, that is. And as bad as that is, it actually gets worse because they ordered three more and tests on those showed that they'd been diluted to 28%, 24%, and nearly 0% for one of them. Which, like, why? Like, why 0%? And, like, well, explain. Because 30% isn't, is just as bad as, you know, these, these, these cocktails that are put together by oncologists are, are important. The percentages are important. The, all of it matters. Every milliliter matters. And he knows that. Yeah, that's the thing. He knew all of that very well. He knew how important the percentages were, but he also knew that it's kind of hard to tell if you're nailing the percentage and doctors are going to more eyeball it based on what kind of effects it's having on the patient. Wow. He's robbing sick people of medicine. That's what he's doing. It's right up there with like stealing grandma's pain pills so you can get high, but worse. This is so worse. much worse. 
these are drugs that in some cases are going to save lives. Yeah. And you're even robbing people of that. So by the time the feds caught up to him and arrested Courtney in 2001, because normally in a situation like this, you would take a little time and build a case so you can like really nail this dude when you go in and arrest him and prosecute him. But you can't do that here. Like this is, this is a guy who every prescription he wrote or every prescription he mixed, he diluted. He, he He was harming people. Yeah. He was actively harming people. So they swoop in and arrest him pretty quick. By the time they arrested him, he held total assets of $18.7 million, which is way more than you'd expect a person to have just working on a pharmacist's salary. Even if you own two pharmacies, it's a lot of money. And that raised an obvious question, which was how long had he been doing this? Because he initially claimed he'd only been diluting cancer drugs for a few months and that he only did it to pay off that $1 million donation to his church's building fund. Uh, Which is such a psychotic thing to try to braid together, in my opinion. Yeah, at that point, why even lie? Well, I, I think that it stands to reason that that's almost proof that he tried to use it as a way of seeming like a good person even from the beginning. Yeah. But, but I mean, it doesn't matter. It's just such a weird thing to say. <laughs> like, Oh, well I diluted a couple cancer patients chemotherapy so I could buy my church a building like that sentence. <laughs> it's an insane thing to say. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. And his church to their credit gave back. They, they had gotten $600,000 of that 1 million by the time he was arrested and they, gave it to, I believe, the victims of Robert Courtney in it. That's good. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a positive. How shitty would it have been if they still built a wing of the church named after Robert Courtney? Oh, there was a meeting. I guarantee <laughs> you there was a meeting. You're sure we want to give this back? I, uh, well, actually, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear. I would love to call them and ask them about that moment. Yeah, I because- would. you would hope it was unanimous. I don't know. I mean, I I would love to, I mean, talk about a conversation I would love to have. Like what, when did you find out? How did you find out? Cause that's blood money. Like that's the definition of blood money. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting conversation. So yeah, no one believes him when he says he's only been doing this a couple months. Of course not. I mean, it's like, that's so much money. Yeah. That's way too much money. And By this point, the FBI is like, this guy is a fucking serial killer. But they also knew that charging him with murder or anything along those lines was going to be kind of difficult because you're dealing with cancer patients. Right. In any murder case, even if it's a shooting, like you see cops get off on shootings because they'll be like, no, it was like, this is an actual defense cops used once. No, it wasn't the bullet that killed him it was that we tased him eight times and that gave him a heart attack but the guy who shot him didn't kill him so he should get off casey anthony is also like on the other end of the spectrum an excellent point like a good example of if you want to pick first degree murder this is why she's free it's because they tried to get her on first degree murder and not a lesser charge there was no way they were ever going to prove without a body that she intentionally killed her daughter (laughs) right they they weren't going to be able to do that so God, that's just, but it's so dark. This is so dark. 
so they basically threaten him with a life sentence and tell him they'll give him a, a plea deal for a lesser sentence if he is honest about the entire scope of what he did. And he goes for that. So he starts laying out how long he's been doing this. And as it turns out, Caitlin, it hasn't been a couple months. Nope. He started in 1990. So for about 11 years, he was doing this in the Kansas City area. And it started shortly after he agreed to that $196,000 lump sum payment to his ex-wife. So it's his ex-wife's fault is what I'm saying. Well, that's where I was... I think that's assuming that be clear. this was going kind of the whole time. Yeah. Okay. It's like, I just want to get that on the record no, I, and get us agreeing on it. It's obviously her. Okay. So yeah. Fault. All of this. Yeah. Yeah. And so to help pay that off, what he starts doing is Ugh. getting chemotherapy drugs on the gray market at a discount, and then selling them in his pharmacy at full price and pocketing the difference. And that, in and of itself, is a felony. Drugs have a supply chain and for a reason, like a chain of custody. That's why you normally trust pharmacists so much. Again, because all this shit could be traced right back to them. So even that part was shady. But two years after that, in 1992, he kicks things up a notch by not only (laughs) getting his drugs on the gray market, but then diluting those gray market drugs. According to law enforcement estimates, and Robert Courtney's own testimony, between 1992 and 2001, he diluted 98,000 prescriptions from 400 doctors, which were given to 4,200 patients. He admitted to diluting 72 different kinds of drugs, not just chemotherapy drugs, also diabetes drugs, AIDS drugs, fertility drugs. Come on. Uh, This is a quote from him. Whatever I could dilute, I did dilute. And he earned an estimated $19 million over the course of this scheme. I, I don't know. I I, I actually, I don't have anything to say. (laughs) It's, I don't, I really don't. It's really hard to fathom. Like there's no way to even know how many people this guy killed, like directly killed just for money. And like, Even the thing about, oh, I did it to pay off my million-dollar donation to the church. You had $19 million in assets by the time you were arrested. That is a lie. Well, it's just, it's it's the, he's crazy. I mean, that, I I don't, you know what I mean? Like, that doesn't track on any level. Yeah. No matter how, that statement, even all it does, all it leaves me to wonder is what was going on in his head, which I am interested to find out because... I would like to know how he rationalized that. I would. I would like to hear him explain it. Even if it doesn't make sense to me once he said it, I think it would be interesting. Well, do I have good news for you? How, how do you feel about that transition, Adam? This segue brought to you by Segway. Yep. Segway, yep. when you need 60% of a Segway, pay for 100% of a Segway. There you go, buddy. His justification was, well, these people were going to die anyway. So what's it matter? There it is. If I dilute their cancer drugs. And here's the thing. Not all the people he did this to died. Plenty of them lived. And a lot of them were in court. So it wasn't even that. I can see him making himself feel better by telling himself that. But he he had to know that even that was 
incorrect. I don't, yeah, I, I, again, now I'm still just left with like, I'm getting to a point in my life with the things that I'm doing for, for work and, and this, this show where I'm now like getting dangerously curious (laughs) about these people. Um, I, I, I I would like to, I guess, see video or something of this man because I've seen photos. He's a, he is aggressively normal looking. Yeah. Like it's, he's like, he looks like your friend's dad. That's the best way I can describe him. Like genuinely. Yeah, very much so. Um, Yeah, they were going to die anyway. And even that, like, well, then how does that explain doing it when you're mixing fertility fertility drugs? drugs? Oh, they weren't going to have a baby anyway. Yeah, basically. That's probably where he went with it. Yeah. Or like diabetes drugs. Like it's so evil. Yeah. It's, it's a, even as shitty and awful as that excuse is. The worst part about it is that it's not even accurate. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's he 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 rationalized himself with false information. Yeah, he has absolutely no integrity whatsoever. I guess that's what's so staggering about this person is like there was nothing about this man that was good. No, I, I mean, man. And it's just it's crazy to have this kind of evil just working in the community for years and years and years unchecked and no one knows until a couple of drug reps get mad that he won't give them sales figures well and it's a new kind of evil i mean we said this at the top of the episode but it's just like it's a different doorway that you know i had never really walked down before but I mean, there's there's a really great podcast out right now called Doctor Death that's that's actually covering has covered a similar another an oncologist an actual oncologist that was knowingly administering fake chemotherapy, which is crazy. Or in some cases, I think actually telling people they had cancer when they didn't, so he could bill for chemotherapy, which is wow, real real cool. Yeah, um, yeah. I it's it's pretty. It's pretty evil. And then this guy had the gall to request early release because of COVID-19. I don't think we even mentioned. He was eventually sentenced to 30 years in prison, which means the earliest he is eligible for release is 2027, when he'll be 75 years old. But he applied for early release because of COVID-19. And at first, he was going to get it. And then a bunch of his victims, the police, like Republicans yeah. and Democrats, both all yeah, like, they were like, uh, no, no, he doesn't get to get out. And no, because this isn't even, I think the, the general understanding is that he harmed more people than they're ever. And, and we're not even talking about like someone like Larry Eiler, for example, is a serial killer that they think, you know, he was, he, they, he confessed to 21. They think he killed up to 60 people. That's a lot of people. It's a lot. This guy harmed thousands of people. That's a whole other, that's like a terrorist. That's not even a serial killer, actually. That is a, it's an act of terror. (laughs) That's very different. Yeah, if 1% of the people he did this to died, that's a staggering amount of lives to take. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be honest, I haven't taken any yet. So far, I have not either. And That's I'm the like, plan. I'm, I'm hoping to maintain that stat, by the way. Yeah, like I'm I'm not that much younger than this guy was when he went to prison. And I haven't 
I haven't killed a single person. It's crazy. But your voice has been heard millions of times. True. So as long as you don't cause cancer with your words, you're fine. I have had people tell me that these podcasts got them through really tough times. So if anything. Yep, you're the opposite. And I'm allowed to kill a few people now. Oh, got it. I see where we're going with this. Because. Mm, I don't know. I have to check. I don't know if that's how it works. I don't mean them, obviously. No, not our listeners. God. No, 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 no. Like now I I got like a, I got a surplus of good karma built up. So there's like a rollover? Mm Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Let's let's talk, let's take this offline, but we should talk about it. Okay, okay, if you think so. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it. look, I'm your friend. I'm here to talk, you know, and I do know a lot about death. <laughs> so uh me too yeah so we should we should suss this out but but back to the person we know harmed and killed an untold amount of people uh i think it's really important to put this guy in a category like to scale this because this guy harmed more people that than died on 9-11 yeah that's it's so many people it's so and we're not talking about a one-off Wham, bam, you're dead. Yeah, These people died or were harmed in chemotherapy. God, especially in the fucking 90s, man. I mean, it was not the he, 90s. He was, in a lot of cases, giving people just enough chemotherapy drugs. To make them feel like shit before to, they died? To make them feel shitty, but also not help them at all. In one case, there was a woman who, because she wasn't having any adverse effects from the chemotherapy was like, Oh, I must be getting better. Like That's awful. That must be what's happening. And no, the cancer was just, and she's actually still alive. At least she was at the time of this, wow. the article, but uh, yeah, what a crazy story. This, I wonder if this will be a movie at some point. It should well, be. Well, what, what creeps me out about it is a truth. And that is like, for example, I remember, I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but I I was working in an office when uh, Elizabeth Smart was found. And I I think that was her. I think that's who it was. But it was one of those horrible stories where somebody was recovered after being imprisoned for like eight years, you know, by some creep. And (laughs) I was standing next to this woman and she was like, I just can't believe that that happened to that girl. You know, that's so weird. I'm sure she basically was like, well, good thing that'll never happen again. And I looked at her and I was like, what scares me about this woman being recovered is that there are other people being imprisoned in this way that have not been found. And so what scares me about this story is that if this guy got caught, he just got caught. Well, uh, again, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just this is it seems it, if you can stomach killing a thousand people, it really is the perfect crime. Like, well, I, what I suspect is probably happening more is there's probably people diluting them to like 70%, 80%. Cause even then you're going to make decent money on each transaction, but yeah. it's not going to be quite as noticeable. And it might even still be an amount that helps. So I could see it still definitely happening that way they even in one of the articles i read at one point the fda admits that they only are really able to monitor like 70 percent of 
the drug supply that See, goes through pharmacies. This is the epilogue pharmacies. that I, I feel like Steven Soderbergh would nail. Like this is yeah. where he would really come in and be like, and this is why you should be terrified all the time of your <laughs> pharmacist. Yeah. Like, how do you know? Like that? How, how do you know? I don't know because it already chemo should already make you feel awful. So I don't know or not. You know, like in all the movies, just so they don't have to shave the actress's head when they get chemo, you know, diagnosed with cancer. Am I going to lose my hair? Well, not everyone does. That's how they get away with that. Right. But everyone loses their hair. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. So weird. Oh, Lord. I'm glad we got through that. What a happy, fun time episode that was. I mean, it is pretty scary. (laughs) There is that. Very scary. Yeah. That's a scary. The whole thing. It's an existentially terrifying story yeah uh next week for our for our bone con we're talking about something that's near and dear to my heart and caitlin's heart which is stay the fuck out of the ocean i've got some bad news about the ocean for this next episode like caitlin did notes and i don't even know why like (laughs) yeah you should just know to stay away yeah i I like the ocean i could could talk about this this creeped me out you like the ocean. Okay. Yeah, whatever. I love the ocean. I like it as a source of food. Okay. As long as I don't have to go out and deadliest That's... catch that shit. I don't know why anyone deadliest catches. I mean, so I so I can eat delicious so, fish. So, so you can eat. Yeah, right. that's true. Uh, until then, what do we have to plug? The, uh, <laughs> the next Unpops Zoom comedy show is this Friday. Oh, cool. And the lineup is Bananas. It's Lori Kilmartin, Connor McSpadden, Suba Agarwal, Sean White, Jeff May, I'm hosting, and a musical performance from Countless Thousands. That's a great lineup. It is going to be so much fun. Tickets are on sale now at unpopscomedy.eventbrite.com. So uh, check that out. Yeah, you should check it out. And I, I'm on Twitter if you want to follow me at Bossy Matilda because I created my Twitter account first year of college. Mm. So that's cool. Find me there. I, I chat. And then you can always send me questions for Adam and I'll I'll take a screenshot and text him to Adam. I'll, I'll, I answer every single one, <laughs> even if only in my head. All right, let's get out of here. Caitlin, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. We love you. I'm going to go to the hospital.